when Christians reach the end of their lives and look back and evaluate all that they have done, all they've said, all they have accomplished, I've heard it said that one of the the big highlights in a Christian's life, a joy, is if they remember their involvement in planting a church. I mean, of all the things that they remember, I've heard it's just this planting of a church that is that is big, that stands out. Now, certainly not every Christian has the privilege to be involved in the planting of the church, and those who have an opportunity to do so will will look back and will consider it a, a tremendous privilege to have been involved in starting a church, especially as they think about the long-term impact that church will make. Long after even they are gone, that church will stand true. will continue with impacting the world for Christ. To know they were on the ground floor can bring great joy to people in those days. And, and I simply say, the Lord has been very gracious to me. Here I am, I stand before you, 38 years old, and the Lord has allowed me to be involved on the ground floor of planting two churches. The first was in 1993, just a year after Yvonne and I were married. We were involved in establishing Kishwaukee Bible Church in DeKalb, Illinois. At that time, we had about five or six families is all we had. In fact, I remember one of our meetings early on, we had 14 people at Kishwaukee Bible Church. And uh, really, it's through that church that uh, the Lord stirred my heart for ministry. So I stand before you today. And I remember those early days, we had two tangible goals we were looking for. We were looking to be financially independent, and we were looking to have multiple elders install the church. And it was only when we achieved those two goals that we would consider ourselves fully completing the task of church planting. And obviously, without sufficient finances, it's impossible to be an independent church. You can't be independent if you're you're relying upon some people to help you financially. But perhaps less obvious is the role of leadership in the independence of the church. But we consider in those early days of Kishwaukee Bible Church that we were not independent of our mother church until there was a plurality of elders. And the reason really is quite simple. In every place the Bible talks about elders and churches, it always speaks using plural terms. Paul planted churches in the Galatian region, and later he appointed elders, plural. When Titus was left in Crete, he was left with the task of appointing elders in every city. See, the ministry is not a one-man show. It's not a pastor doing whatever he wishes, however well-intentioned and godly this man is. The ministry is to be led by several godly men, a plurality. As the New Testament repeatedly emphasizes, it's the plurality of elders which gives the church a measure of independence. And so when Kishwaukee Bible Church began, we were under the authority of the elders of our ascending church, Grace Church of DuPage. And Don Dumbacher, our only elder at that time, would travel back into Warrenville, about 45 minutes away, would attend the meetings of the elders at Grace Church of Page, would tell them of what's taking place, would seek their input, their advice, their help, their counsel. Sound familiar? I well remember the day when Kishwaukee Bible Church became an independent church. It was the day in which I became the second elder at Kishwaukee Bible Church. And, And I remember... How for years we'd been 
We'd been independent financially, but hadn't been independent with leadership-wise. And Frank Yonke and Gordy Bell came from Grace Church of DuPage as their representatives to commend Don and I, Don and me, I'm sorry, to God and to the word of His grace. At that point, Kishwaukee Bible Church officially became an independent church. Though definitely with relationships there, you know, not everything is severed. But it became independent. And the story is exactly the same for the second church I've had the privilege of being involved with at Rock Valley Bible Church. The goals of our church have been similar. We're seeking financial independence. We're seeking leadership independence. Several years ago, we've accomplished the first goal. The current time, the offerings that we receive in the offering box in the back are more than sufficient to meet our financial needs to church. In fact, we're praying through how to use the overflow in a wise manner that would please the Lord. But the second goal has not been accomplished. Therefore, in establishing the church here in Rockford, we've never been fully independent. I, mean, I liken it to, um, to a growing tree. Uh, recently, I was um, at, visited a lake that was surrounded by trees. And the man who owned this lake, actually, planted a bunch more trees. And, and, and around many of these trees, there was a tree planted and there was... Um, you know, maybe just a shaft protecting it from the deer. Or maybe there was a, um, a, a coil around it, kind of protecting it, helping it to stand, helping it to stand firm. That is a great picture of Rock Valley Bible Church. Yes, we're planted. Yes, we're growing. But we still have a support apparatus around us called the Elder Board at Kishwaukee Bible Church. See, I'm the only elder here up in Rockford. And the other elders of our church are down in DeKalb. I've submitted myself to the elders at Kishwaukee Bible Church in every way. I attend their elders' meetings. I update them with the things going on at Rock Valley Bible Church. I seek their counsel. I seek their advice. I ask for the help in these matters. They help me to make decisions in the major issues of the life of the church. Periodically, they've come here. Many of you know those people and who they are. Now, let me ask you, is that situation ideal? It's not. Each and every elder in DeKalb would tell you that's not an ideal situation. But you know what? We don't live in an ideal world. It's a situation before us. In fact, when I go down to DeKalb, one of the frequent topics that is brought up is, Steve, any status on maybe another elder? They're pushing it. And I come back and I talk to them and we are working things through. And you need to know that they are fully aware and fully concerned about the situation. In the meantime, they've been doing their best to shepherd Rock Valley Bible Church from afar. And I can commend them in their efforts, but there are some drawbacks. And I want to be honest with you, that has caused me a great amount of difficulty in leading the church here. See, with elders in another city, it's hard to lead the church. I mean, elders aren't around the church every week as I am. They don't fully understand the issues at Rock Valley Bible Church. And many decisions take longer. Rather than saying, oh, well, well let's talk about that right here. i got to say, well, I'll... I'll take it down to the elders at, at Kishwaukee Bible Church, and that might take another month. But Lord willing, that will all change soon. I'm pleased to announce today that Gordy Bell has agreed to serve at Rock Valley Bible Church in the position of elder. Gordy has been one of the solutions that I've talked with Kishwaukee Bible Church elders about. They've recommended, they said, what about Gordy? I've spoken with Gordy about this. I've asked him to come on and be an elder at Rock Valley Bible Church. 
the elders at Kishwaukee Bible Church have gone to Gordy and have asked him if he would be an elder at Rock Valley Bible Church. And it's taken some time for him to pray about these things. And in church time, listen, time is okay in the life of the church. We ought to be patient about things. We don't need to be rushing into things. We need to wait upon the Lord. And Gordy has now reached a point he's communicated with me that he'd like to pursue the process of being an elder at Rock Valley Bible Church. Now, when I say that I'm pleased with this announcement, I think that's like massive understatement. You know, I told Yvonne that Gordy was willing to pursue this. I was crying. I mean, tears just came into my eyes. I don't think you've ever seen me cry like that. And um, she put her arm around me and said, are you okay? I said, yes, I'm happy. I'm happy. I felt like at that moment, like the many of my trials and difficulties of this church were lifted from my shoulders. Not that difficulties aren't here, but that it's, it's, we'll have a measure of independence. We'll have another elder here at Rock Valley Bible Church. And I look forward to seeing that accomplished. See, I don't think you know and understand the depth of the pain and the difficulty and the anguish that this has caused me. I mean, I, I think about it, pray about it every day for the past four, four years, five years, whatever it's been. People come to me and talk, talk to me about it. And I said, yes, I'm concerned with the situation. I... I've been on my knees much. I've fasted about the situation. I have prayed much. I have been very concerned about this. It's been very hard. Because I know that leading a church with elders in another city is difficult. And so I look forward to having elders appointed in this city. It would be great. So this morning I announced to you that Gordy Bell aspires to the office of overseer. He's not an elder today. We're not installing him right now. He's being presented as a candidate. And so today marks a time when you as a congregation are being informed of all of our intentions, a time of testing and evaluation for Gordy. His official installment will be at a later date. We'll keep you fully informed about that. At the end of my message, I want to give a little bit more details about that. But in light of this, what I'd like to do this morning is really look into see what the Scriptures speak about elder and eldership. And what that means. Perhaps your Bible opened naturally to Matthew chapter 26. We'll be there next week. But this week we start in Acts chapter 6. It's the best place to start. When you think about church leadership, Acts chapter 6 is a place to begin. We see the beginning of the formation of the two churches, the two offices that the Lord has given to His church. He's given the office of elder He's in the office of deacon. Now, they're not fully developed here in Acts chapter 6, but we begin to see the needs for two offices, and we begin to see how it is those offices began to be formed. Let me read for you Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from among you, brethren, 
seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of the Lord kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We see here in verse 1 that the church was growing in numbers. More and more people were being saved. More and more people were repenting of their sin. And more and more people were believing in the only sacrifice that can save. But with more people came more responsibility. Increased ministry on the part of the apostles. And especially as it pertained to feeding of widows. There were widows around. The apostles were were feeding. And quite frankly, it was overwhelming for them. They had only so much time and only so many resources. And they couldn't serve all the widows. And so they chose the Jewish widows rather than the Hellenistic widows to serve. That's all they could do. As a result of that, a complaint came up. I don't blame them for choosing the Jewish widows. They were all Jewish. right? And loyalty to your kinsmen runs deep. They were serving the Jewish widows. But the Hellenistic widows, on behalf of them, a complaint arose. They said, hey, you're neglecting us. Or people said, hey, you're neglecting these Greek widows. What's up? And I, I just say how true this is to ministry in the church. Two options are before you. Option A, option B. And you can't please all the people all the time. You make the best decision. You do option A, and the people with option B will grumble and complain. You choose option B, and those who want option A will grumble and complain. That's what took place in the church. Because had they chosen the Greek widows instead of the Jewish widows, there would have been an uproar. Hey, what about the Jewish widows? So it's a matter of... Increasing need and not enough apostolic help and support. At least the apostles recognized the problem. They, they, they realized they needed more people to help them with the ministry. And so they said, verse 2, it's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God to serve tables. It's not that serving tables was a demeaning work or below them. I mean, up to this point, they were the ones serving tables. It was a matter of priorities. The ministry of the Word was more important to the apostles than serving tables. And that's the point of verse 4. They said this, We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Of all the things the apostles were able to do, these were the two things upon which they focused, prayer and the ministry of the Word. And it begins to form for you a little bit of an understanding about the role of an elder. An elder should commit himself to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, oftentimes, I've heard these two things reversed. In fact, just even recently, I heard someone say, yeah, well, you know, you commit yourself to Word and prayer. To the Word and prayer. And I've heard that often. And I, I've always thought, you know, what if I ask them, why? It's, it's prayer and the Word. Why do you say the Word and prayer? And say, well, I guess I didn't mean to switch those up. I guess in my mind, I think they switched them up for a reason because I think that they in their minds, believe the ministry of the Word takes a priority over prayer. 
However, I do believe that this is a divinely inspired order that ought not to be switched. Prayer ought to take precedence. I believe it's prayer first and ministry of the Word next. Not that one is more important than the other, but the one comes first and then the other. And I think of how astonishing it is for these apostles to feel the need to prioritize prayer in their lives. I mean, they're the ones that walked and talked with God in the flesh. Jesus Christ taught them themselves. I mean, there are some things that Jesus taught them that we will never know. Maybe the look that He gave, or maybe a circumstance that wasn't exactly written down. John even said at the end of his Gospel, were all the things written, all the books, you know, in the world couldn't contain them. So in other words, he's saying, there's lots more I could have written. And there's lots of things that they learned. But these are the ones that said we need to pray. These are the ones to whom Jesus said that I will give you the Spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth. So they had this experience with Jesus. They had the Spirit going to guide them in all truth. And they felt the need to pray. The Spirit did guide them in truth to discern the the mystery of the Gospel. That it, it was not just for Jews only. It was for Gentiles. Acts chapter 15, the Spirit guide them to say that no, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved, keeping the priority of justification by faith alone. The Spirit inspired them to write the New Testament that we hold in our hands today. And yet they felt the need to pray. I think they learned this from Jesus Himself. Luke tells us that Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. There are times in which Jesus even prayed all night long. In times of greatest anguish, we've seen recently in Matthew 26, that He was in Gethsemane and He prayed to the Father. And maybe the apostles thought to themselves, if the Son of God needs to pray, how much more do we need to pray? And I say, if the apostles need to pray, how much more do elders of local churches need to pray? And after praying, it was the ministry of the Word that took their focus. Now, for the apostles, it took several different forms. It took the form of preaching evangelism, right? The book of Acts records great evangelistic ministry of the apostles, taking the Word of God, the message of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and turning the world upside down. The ministry of the Word took the form of writing. The apostles are the ones who wrote down the Bible for us. Right? The written Word has a scope of ministry that the oral Word just didn't have. The ministry of the Word also took form of advising the church, even in a non-inspired way. The apostles spent much of their time in local churches, counseling them on how things should be done, how to deal with different types of people, how to behave among the world, how to conduct worship services. In fact, even at one point in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul referred to the counsel that he gave to the Thessalonians that was, while he was in Thessalonica. He said, you remember when I was among you, this is what I was telling you. That's ministry of the Word, taking the Word, taking the message of grace and funneling it into the life of the people. Those were the priorities of the apostles, right? The serving of tables given to qualified spiritual men able to do the task as listed there in verse 5 or who are these men? But the apostles devoting themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Well, in Acts 6 here, we do see a beginning of a separation of labor a little bit. The apostles focused their time and energies on, on the spiritual things. And these seven men focus their time and energy upon the physical things. Though that doesn't mean that the apostles never served tables again. In fact, we even know Paul worked for a living. And we know even here, Stephen, 
A deacon was a preacher. He got himself stoned in Acts chapter 7. So it's not just physical, it's not just spiritual, but it's a melding of the two. But in the end, it's the apostles focusing on the spiritual prayer and the ministry of the Word, and it's, the de- it's the, these deacons, or these proto-deacons, I like to call them, focusing things upon the physical matters of the church. And I, I believe that from these two offices here derive the office of elder and the office of deacon. Now, the office of elder has called by several other names in the New Testament. It's also called an overseer. It's also called a pastor. Right? And we know these terms are talking about the same office because there are several pastors that use these terms interchangeably. Like, for instance, Paul went in Acts 20 to speak with the, the Ephesian elders. And in speaking to the elders, he said, The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Elders and overseers. You're the same person. And, and he has given you the task of shepherding the church. The shepherd is the word we get to derive the word pastor. And so these elders in Ephesus were overseers who were due pastoral work. They're one and the same. When Peter wrote his letter, which we call 1 Peter, he did the same thing. He wrote to the elders as a fellow elder. It's very interesting. Peter there went from an apostle, considered himself even as an elder in the church, because I think the apostles were going towards eldership. He was an elder, and he wrote to the elders. He told them to shepherd the flock. In other words, pastor the flock of God among you. How? He said, by exercising oversight, you should be an overseer. A pastor is an overseer, is a shepherd, is an elder. And, and those, there are even other places. Like, like, for instance, when qualifications are given for church leaders, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, in one passage they're called elders. In the other passage they're called overseers. By and large, the same qualities and characteristics in both of them. It's not that they were separate offices with one slight nuance of difference. The same, same office, different words used to describe them. And by the time these two offices were formalized, but by the time Paul planted um, the church in Philippi, these offices had been formalized. Paul wrote Philippians 1.1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. He's writing the leadership of the church. There are two offices. There are overseers and there are deacons. Now, these names help you to see the role of these men. The elders, pastors, overseers are the ones who are responsible for leading and guiding in the spiritual matters of the church. That includes the church as a whole, having final authority in what's taking place with decisions of the church. It includes also individuals as well, counseling particular individuals with, with problems or crises in their lives. The elders with the ministry of the Word can take many different forms. It can be in evangelism, speaking to unbelievers. The apostles did so well. It can be in preaching formally, like here on Sunday mornings. It can be in in training and equipping. As you take the Word and apply it, it can be as formal as a classroom setting. It can be as informal as, hey, come over. Let's spend some time on the couch together. Let me talk to you, help you, take the Word, put it in your life. It can be in counseling. So the word is skillfully applied to specific situations in a person's life, right? Recalling for them the, the great character of God and, and the sufficient sacrifice of Christ. Or perhaps taking the word and confronting sin. Or perhaps taking the word and giving biblical direction in people's life. It can even be a normal conversation. It can be just even simply as reading the Bible to another believer in times of sorrow in effort to comfort them. These are all ministries of the word. When the word of God is taken and applied in the lives of people. It's the ministry of the Word. And I just say that this is something that's not just for elders. 
This actually is something even for all of us, maybe to a lesser degree. But Jake recently wrote an article in the Food for the Flock. If you've not got it, I encourage you to, to take it and read it about Colossians chapter 3. This verse says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, talking to everybody in the church with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what the ministry of the word is. It's letting the word of Christ dwell in you. It's the gospel, the saving message of Christ, the words of scripture, and then allowing you to teach and admonish and talk to other people. That's what it's talking about. It's letting that which is in you come out. You see, it's not something just only for elders to do. The only difference between the congregation and the elders is merely one of authority, one of calling of God, one of official capacity of leadership of the church. That's the difference. And certainly we all should be praying. Right? It's not just the elders who pray. Well, there's the role of the elder. Let's now look at the qualities of the elder. The Bible is very clear about these things. I want you to turn. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's a passage that speaks about the character of the overseer of the church, what he must have. And when identifying men for the office of elder, it's not those who are successful in the world. It's not those who are born natural leaders. It's not those who have good speaking skills. It's not those who have good administrative abilities or round up people for a cause. It's those who have seen and understood the grace of God. That God has so transformed their lives that they become a model for people to follow. It's those that God has so graced with a character that other people, when they think about that person, they easily trust Him. It is so important for church leadership to be trusted. When church leadership isn't trusted, it falls in the eyes of people. That's why it's important to have men of character in leadership of the church. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 3. I want to read the first seven verses. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. We have 16 different qualities here of the elder. And I say that these things are only suggestive. They're not exhaustive, okay? They're suggestive. In other words, they give you the sort of flavor that a man should be who serves as an elder. But you need to know that there may be some things that are not quite on this list that disqualify somebody. But they're just not in accordance with the flavor of the list. You know, for instance, suppose someone is a deceiver and a liar. It doesn't say anything about someone being a, a liar. Oh, you can have a liar. It doesn't say that. Or suppose someone's an idol worshiper. It doesn't say anything about not worshiping idols here in this list. And you can argue from <clears throat> various reasons, perhaps this first one about being above reproach really compasses all of those things. But there, it gives you a flavor 
of who this ought to be. And I know that these are suggestive and not exhaustive because when you look at Titus chapter 1, the, the qualities are a little bit different, right? It's not a one-to-one. It's not like Paul had 16 things. Here you go, boom, 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 boom. They're very similar, but there's some in Titus that aren't in Timothy, and there's some in Timothy that aren't in Titus. It's not because the elders in Crete need to be different than the elders in Ephesus. No, it's all talking about the same thing. I liken it to an apple pie. Suppose Juanita Milton makes an apple pie. Suppose that Karen Gusky makes an apple pie. They both are apple pies. They both taste really good. They both taste maybe a little bit different. But both of them qualify as an apple pie. Same thing talking about here. We're talking about an elder, talking about these types of things. Though the lists differ a bit, you get a great picture as to the type of man that this should be. And I want to go through this list with you of these 16 different items. As we go through these lists, you can have Gordy in mind, but also know that many of things, you know, some of these things maybe are specific to elders, but the vast majority of all of them are true of all of us. In fact, there are many other commands in Scripture that tell us to be like this. So I, I ask you, as so I go through this list, to say, you know, how am I? What, what areas are my weakness? In fact, maybe as we go through this, maybe you want to even circle in your Bibles the one that, boy, I need to, I need to work on that. And maybe you use this message in your life as an opportunity for the Lord to stir in your heart by way of sanctification. Well, here the first quality comes in verse 1. I'm going to categorize them some just for for helpful sake. First, number one, he desires the work. The quality of an elder, he desires the work. He has to have a desire for the office. It says here, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work. He desires to do. In other words, the man himself is hungry to do the hard work of shepherding the church. He's not motivated by external pressure. He hasn't agreed to serve in this capacity only because someone else told him he should. It's not under compulsion in any way. He has this inner push and desire that just won't stop. He aspires to it. Because I know Without that desire, you'll quit. You will. It's hard. But with the desire, you'll keep going. Paul says, here in verse 1, that a man ought not to be ashamed of having such a desire. It's a good desire to have. You know, I was speaking recently with a good friend of mine who doesn't attend our church. We're talking about the status of elders at Rock Valley Bible Church. Like often comes up, And um, he told me about his great desire for an elder. He said, Steve, I would love to be an elder. I would love to do that work. And yet he said, but you know what? I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified for that work. There have been issues in my life that have disqualified me, but I would love to do that. But you know what? Here's what he does otherwise. Even apart from knowing he can't be an elder, that desire burns within him so much that he does as much ministry as he can in the church. I mean, he goes to a nursing home, preaches a couple times per month. He has um, a big push in his church for small groups. He even leads one himself and tries to help and tries to push. Many opportunities come up, and he's, he's got this inner desire to minister. It just kind of flows out. He said, you can't stop him, though he knows he won't be an elder every day. And I say that desire for ministry is a good thing. And I say, do you have that desire? I mean, is, is ministry something that just stirs in your heart? Whether you're going to ever be official leader in the church or not, is that something that just burns within you? 
The desire for ministry is a good thing. And this type of man, you never have to push him for ministry. When you say, here's a need, he'll, he'll just go after it. Pursue. He wants to be with people and wants to serve them and wants to help them in whatever capacity he can. Well, there's first quality. He desires the work. Second quality, he lives with integrity. Here we have a, a bunch of list of things. I'm just going to go through them quickly. I'm going to spend more time on the first one and then go through the others quickly for the sake of time unless you want to be here till 2 o'clock. I mean, messages have been given on some of these qualities. He is, here it is, above reproach. Literally, this means there's nothing can be laid upon this man. In other words, he so conducts himself in his life that those who see him speak nothing bad against him. You know, a great illustration of this took place in my life about 13 years ago. Shortly before Yvonne and I were to be married, we're in the midst of our premarital counseling. And Yvonne and I went to this pastor for counseling. And, uh, you know, I think he was into a lot of psychology. We filled out some kind of personality thing. And he came to talk about how, how well we match personality-wise, whether we're a good fit or not, and talk about those things. And then, and then he focused upon our relationships with our fathers. You know, from a psychology perspective, really thinking about that will give a lot of clues into your life and how that is. And he said, well, Steve, tell me about your father. What's good and bad about your relationship with him? And so I told him some things, and they were all positive. And he said, well, okay, that, that's good. Well, tell me about the bad. And I thought, and I said, you know, I don't have anything bad to say about my father. And I've told my dad this story recently, and he said, no, 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 there's got to be something. What, 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 what's bad about your dad? Tell me, tell me something. I said, you know, I don't have anything bad to say. I don't have anything bad to say against my father. And he tried several more times. Yvonne, you remember how he pushed and he pushed and he pushed and he pushed. And figuring that if I can find what maybe some, some kink in his relationship with his dad, maybe I can then help counsel him for his marriage. And I said, you know what? I, I don't have anything bad to say about my dad. Thank the Lord. May I be a dad like that someday. So, Krissa and Stanley Ray, when you come, you can say, I have anything bad to say against my dad. And my dad's not perfect. I know that. He knows that. And he's told me several times about how even raising me again, he would raise me differently for the better. But I just simply say that he lives in such a way it gives me no occasion to speak negatively about him. And my prayer for him is you continue to do so to your dying day. Finish the course, Dad. Finish. That's what above reproach is all about. Just like, you know what, I think about that guy and, and nothing bad comes to mind. Well, let's look through these others. Husband of one wife. In the day in which Paul lived, this probably had initial reference to polygamy. Right? You can't have two wives and be a leader in the church. A more literal translation of this is a one-woman man. Meaning that even it gets beyond just technically, okay, who are you married to? Are you married to just one wife? It gets beyond, it gets to even his, his life and his attitude and his heart. There's no hint of marital unfaithfulness in this man at all. His affection for his wife is demonstrated and known by all. Pornography isn't an issue in his life. He has pure desires for one woman and one woman only. Next, he's temperate. I mean, he doesn't ride his emotions like a roller coaster. You know, recently I gave a, a devotional talk at Keepers at Home. It was the end of May. And I talked about several of my kids. And, and um, one, of my, one of my kids goes up and down about like this. And one of my youngest daughters goes up and down like this. 
And when she's up here, she's delightful to be with, our most happy child to be with. And when she's down here, she's the worst child to be with. And one of our children is like this. Maybe you can figure out who they are. <laughs> this, is, this is the elder. One is temperate. <clears throat> Doesn't ride his emotions up and down. He's a stable guy, not overly angered. Not prone to depression, not too quickly enthused, not too quickly discouraged, even keel. He's prudent. Literally, that means he is, he's controlled by his mind. He's a rational man. He's a logical man, man. Decisions are made more with his head than with his heart. He's respectable. Literally, this kind of means he's adorned. He's, he's ordered. He's fit in place. You get a good impression of this man. His hair is combed. His shoes are shined. His clothes are clean and pressed. He's on time. He keeps his word. His life's in order. And he earns respect from people. He's hospitable. Literally, this means he loves strangers. He easily can come up and talk with somebody he doesn't know anything about, have a pleasant conversation with them. He'll express a genuine care and concern for those he just meets. He loves people, even people he doesn't know. And how important that is for a leader of a church to reach out to those he doesn't know. He's able to teach. It's not so much even talking about the guy's great speaking abilities. He has a guy who can take the Bible, understand it, and easily apply it in the lives of others. See, it's one thing to learn the Bible. It's another thing to learn the Bible so you can digest it and work it out. And so you can pass it on and teach it to others. Describing a man who can teach others what they need to know to walk with the Lord. Talking about a man who can share the truth of the word to others as an overflow of his life. He's not addicted to wine. He doesn't need his alcohol to make it through the day. You can easily extend this, I think so, to other things. He's not addicted to cigarettes or cigars. He's not addicted to food. He's not addicted to caffeine. He isn't addicted to sports. He isn't addicted to video games. He has self-mastery over these things, right? In other words, he can lose weight. Because food doesn't control him because he's not addicted to food. He can skip the ball game, right? The Bears will wait. Though my schedule is going to be on Monday night watching the Bears. He can stop drinking his coffee. Anything that binds him. He says, I'm not controlled by this. I can just skip that. He's not pugnacious. In other words, he's not a brawler. He's not a fighter. He's learned well the lesson of Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. When someone comes to fight, his gentle words calm the situation down. He's not an angry man, ready to vent his frustrations in the next person that walks in the room. He's gentle. His words are soft. Perhaps he has the gentle touch. He genuinely cares for people. He is patient with people. Not just steamrolling his issue. He'll take time with people and gently help them. He's uncontentious. He's not the nagging wife who constantly brings up the same issue to her husband. Honey, when are you going to bring the garbage cans in? Honey, when are you going to do this? Honey, when are you going to pay that bill? Honey, when are you... That's not this person. He's content when things don't go quite the way he wants them to go. Rather than making trouble, he's uncontentious, meaning he smooths out the rough spots. That's what Neller's like. He's free from the love of money. Money doesn't control them. He's not climbing the corporate ladder only to amass a great fortune. He's generous. 
He's ready to give of his resources to others. He's willing to share his worldly possessions. He's content to live on little. Like Paul says, I'm content with much or with little. Because he's, he's, not, he's not in love with money. Well, we went through those quickly. But to summarize it, he lives with integrity. That's what it's all talking about. Does he live with integrity? Third lesson, does he lead his family? He desires the work. He lives with integrity. He leads his family. That's verse 4. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. The things of his house are in order. His house isn't a mess. His possessions are well cared for. His finances are in order. He lives within his budget. His household runs smoothly. His wife gladly submits to him. She also is known for her character as a godly woman. A wife can disqualify an otherwise qualified man because her character is a reflection of his leadership in the home. If he has children, his children love him and obey him. Children can disqualify a man for ministry, leadership in the church because their character is a reflection of his leadership in the home. You show me a man with rebellious children and I'll show you a man who isn't leading his home who ought not to be leading the church. How often is this rule broken in churches across our nation? Verse 5 tells us why it's so important, right? If a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? In other words, look to see how this man is spiritually leading his home. Because the way in which a man spiritually leads his home is the way that a man will spiritually lead the church. If his household's out of control, his leadership in the church will be inconsistent and incomplete. Now, this verse 5 has caused me many conversations with my children. How many times, guys, maybe you can remember and can think, have I told you how important it is for you to, to obey me willingly? Have I had conversations with you about that? A lot. And I've told them that the day you go off and rebel is the day that I think about a computer job and work that through. Because when they rebel, it shows that my leadership in the home is a sham. It's not there. So pray for my kids. And I tell them that if they go off and rebel, I lose my job. And I work with computers. Which on some days would be kind of nice. This verse also addresses the importance of family worship. I'm talking about fathers taking the initiative with their family. Reading the Bible, your family. Praying together as a family. Singing praise to God with your family. And I say, family worship ought to take place in every home at Rock Valley Bible Church. It must take place for a spiritual leader. You know, afterwards, if I ask the kids, maybe I will. How many of you guys have family worship in home? I would just hope that you, you fathers, if you're not doing it, start today. I wrote an article. You can pick it up on the Internet. Yvonne and I are printing like a, a little brochure. We'll have them next week. Just talk about is, uh, what's the title called? It's Family Worship Practice in Your Home. Something that I believe is very important to the life of all our children. Guys, do this. But a man aspiring to an elder position has to be doing this. Otherwise, his life is a fake. Well, two more characteristics of qualities of the elder. He desires the work. He lives with integrity. He leads his family. Here it is, number four. He's experienced in the faith. Verse six. And not a new convert. 
lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Now that makes total sense. There's something that walking with the Lord for many years will do for a man. It'll teach him of the Lord's goodness. It'll teach him of the Lord's long-suffering. It'll show him how the Lord answers prayer. It'll teach him of the way in which the church ought to work. And you don't want somebody who doesn't have any experience living the Christian life to be in a position of leading the church. But notice that Paul doesn't give reasons here about needing experience to do the job well. Right? It's really for his own good, is what he says. To put a novice into church leadership is really to open him up for a great fall. See, when Satan looks upon the church, do you know who he goes after? He goes after the leader of the church. You just think about me and Lance with big bullseyes on our back, which Satan, with his flaming arrows, are aiming right at us. And if a new convert is placed in the position of spiritual leadership, like that target is a lot bigger. Right? You ever gone to an arcade or, or played some kind of you know, game like that where you're shooting at targets, you know, and there, there's some little, little, little bitty targets that are worth like 50 points? The big targets are worth like five points. Which ones do you go for? Well, it's easy. Just ping, ping. You shoot off those easy ones. The, the other ones, you know, it takes a little bit more time. It takes a little more effort. But Satan will go after the young, weak ones in church leadership. And a new convert is an easy target. That's why he needs to be experienced in the faith. Fifthly, he's respected by the world. This is verse 7. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Again, it's for his own good that he has a reputation outside the church. See, what we do at church here is far bigger than just inside these four walls. We're looking to make an impact for the world. And, and, and when a man is a, you know, doesn't have a good reputation outside, but he's a leader inside, just brings the whole thing to shame, brings him to shame. How does he think that he can spiritually lead a church? He can't do that. And brings reproach upon the church as well. Well, those are the qualities of the elder. I have zipped through them real fast. You can think on them, meditate upon them. I trust the Lord has convicted you maybe of the thing that you need to work on in your home. And as I looked over these things, I've been reminded again of ways I need to be better at. I trust that that's happened to you. Here's, here's my last point. What's next for Rock Valley Bible Church? This particularly gets with respect to Gordy. You know, Gordy's in a very unique situation for us because he has already served as an elder for years at uh, Grace Church. Was it 11 years or 12 years, Gordy? How long was it? 12? 11 years. He was an elder. In fact, Gordy, why don't you just stand up so that people know, maybe some people are visiting, why don't you just stand up so people know who we're talking about. Right here, Gordy Bill. An elder for 11 years at Grace Church of Page, so he knows what church leadership's about. He was on the ground floor of starting Kishwaukee Bible Church 11 years ago. When we started the church in my dad's home, he was there every Sunday until responsibilities took him back to Grace Church of DePage. All of the elders at Kishwaukee Bible Church know Gordy very well have affirmed his character and giftedness. And I believe that these are the types of things that have, you know, allow, will allow the process with Gordy to proceed a little bit more quickly than with somebody else. 
Additionally, he's been here at Rock Valley Bible Church for five years. And I believe it's the Lord's sovereignty that brought him here. He heard about Rock Valley Bible Church one day when um, he was in the process of moving from his home in Wheaton out to Oregon. And for some reason, it's got to be the Lord's sovereignty, Gordy was taking me to the airport to fly out to California, I think, to see Yvonne, the family I'd sent out before. He's never given me a ride to the airport since then, or never before, but this is one time. And so he's, he says, Steve, you know, what's happening in your life? And so this was five years ago. So you can think about five years ago, we were transitioning from the Pearson's home to um, Valley Baptist Church to meet at um, a church on Sunday nights. And I said, well, I've been leading a Bible study up in Rockford, and it's continued to grow, and uh, we're just going to take this next step of meeting more in a public place, a bigger place, uh, Sunday night services. And uh, when I come back from California, we're going to start this. And both he and Ruthie were especially intrigued by this whole thing, especially as they were going to move out towards this area in the next few weeks. And he and Ruthie were, were there the very first day we met at... Uh, Valley Baptist Church, and they prayed about whether the Lord would lead them to be involved or not, and they've been here ever since. In terms of my processing with Gordy about this, things have been going on for quite some time. You know, I'm a young man. I mentioned earlier I'm 38 years old. I'm fully aware of all my weaknesses. I've not been through trials of life like some older men have. And I know of my need to have older men help me in ministry. And that's why last October I spoke with Gordy about having an accountability relationship with him. Where I wanted to seek advice and counsel with him with some of the issues involved in my life and my ministry. And, and I just say, it has been a tremendous help for me. In fact, I looked back at my, my timesheets and back, it was October 21st that he and I began speaking on the phone each week with each other. In fact, it's for an hour or two. No, let me call them. Eight o'clock every Thursday morning. That's one of my just consistent meetings. And I call eight o'clock every Thursday morning. Bring, hey, Gordy, how you doing? We pray together. We talk together. We pray. And our conversations have really paved the way in many ways for today. I've been talking with him about life and ministry really for the past ten months. He's been, he has come to understand my heart for the ministry. I've come to understand his heart. And so really, you can even see the elder process with Gordy started a long time ago, 20 years ago at Grace Church of DuPage, but started even here at Rock Valley Bible Church in earnest probably 10 months ago. I began talking with him, and we began praying together. And so today, we announce it, and we bring it to the church. At this point, Gordy's being presented as a candidate for being an elder at Rock Valley Bible Church, and I want you to, to think about my message today. It's going to be on the Internet up Tuesday night. If you signed up for it, you're going to get it in your email box Tuesday night as well. Read it. Pray over it. Pray about this whole process. If you have any hesitations, please talk to me. Talk to Lance. If there's an issue with Gordy's life, boy, by all means, speak with him. And we'll be seeking your feedback. And then after a season of time, we'll get back to you as to when a date would be to ultimately install him as an elder. And until then, I just encourage you to be in prayer over this entire process. We need to move as the Lord directs us, and I believe this is sovereignly designed of the Lord. I've been brought to tears. I'm excited about that, and we'll trust and see what the Lord will do. I want to pray now for these things. <clears throat>
Oh Lord, you know how often I've prayed for elders. And I stand here today with God as my witness of that, oh Lord. And I thank you for moving on Gordy's heart in this way. And would pray, God, that you would guide us to church in this process. Cause us to think about these things. Cause us to pray about these things. God, cause us to seek your will and your direction in these matters. How I long to be an independent church that has great relationships with the other churches that we've planted, especially Kishwaukee Bible Church. God, that has planted us and established us. Lord, may for years to come we continue to be involved in ministry with them. I thank you that I have hardly felt alone in the ministry like several other pastors here in town do because of their support and their help and their constant prayers for me and for Rock Valley Bible Church. I am comforted to know that we as a church are not alone. I think even my sister who attends Grace Church of DuPage said of how the pastor there prayed for Rock Valley Bible Church and prayed for me by name. It's because I've been constantly emailing him and talking with him. And so God, I do rejoice of this network of churches that you have established and would pray that you would continue in that. Even as Paul said to the the Philippians, that we would continue in the progress of the gospel. May the gospel go out in our lives, causing us to be more and more grateful, causing us to be more and more in love with you in light of all that you've done for us in Christ. May it go out to the world. May people come to faith because of Rock Valley Bible Church. Lord, may you stir in the hearts of our kids. Lord, may you... Grow us up to be a mature man. As Paul said in Ephesians 4, not tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. God, but being complete, a complete man, fully unified in all things. would pray that for Rock Valley Bible Church. And I pray especially you'd help us in days ahead. God, I thank you for your blessing even for today. And we pray for your abounding blessings in the future. Amen.